0: So I have a question for you, Dr. Edwards. Are you a landowner? Do you own land?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. You have an estate. How does it, I mean, kind of. you, have, you, an est- you have an estate? The, the bank owns the land. <laughs> you have a mortgage. <laughs> and you I own maybe one fiftieth of it. Yes. Doctor, yeah.
0: Dr. Payne, are you an estate, an estate holder? I have a, a vast estate. A vast villa.
2: And yourself?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm a landowner. I mean, yeah. I owe the bank money who owns my land. Oh, yes. Yeah, certainly. that count? Certainly, yeah. No, what I don't own that?
2: anything... I own very few things outright.
0: I came from a family where like, you know, people owned land, you know, like especially on my dad's Mm -hmm. side, like owning 40 acres of land. Well, that's because
2: you're like a Midwestern farm. I'm a Midwestern
0: farm guy. Exactly. But (laughs) I think in the urban suburban life, like land ownership doesn't seem like such a big deal, does it?
1: It doesn't. But I think that's (laughs) shifting now. That's true. I think Uh, there's kind of an exodus from the cities and the suburbs
2: and people want land. You got to get land. We have a very tiny, tiny little house. Yeah. I like it, though.
0: Welcome to the "I Need to Know More" podcast. Yes. We are talking about land this week. We are with Dr. Sarita Edwards, who delivered a video lecture on land this week. Dr. Edwards, welcome.
1: Thank you. We're Wonderful so to glad be glad here.
2: here. This is uh, this is one of it's kind of interesting. I, I I'm thinking through the student experience with the course. This is one of the we're. we're it's a heavy-hitting passage or set of, of passages oh, that yeah. the students read. To me, um, the Judges, the Book of Judges, um, th- it's one of the heaviest passages. Judges. Yes, yeah. I think so. Um, because it deals with a lot of the thing, things, same things that we deal with now, which would be like conflicts between religious groups, mm-hmm. um, conflicts over land. Mm-hmm over nationhood mm-hmm. and over and just this general idea like who does god want to win oh my goodness and who deserves to live and who deserves to die there's so much here i'd love to i'd love to hear you all comment a little bit on i mean okay first i have a question for both of you which is when you teach this like what are the the standard student responses to these really intense and kind of difficult passages.
0: Yeah. Dr. Edwards, what do you, what, 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 like as you were teaching this and lecturing, like what kind of responses did you have just coming up in you and what, what kind of responses do you anticipate to some of this like warfare kind of stuff and the violence and all that?
1: Well, I think it kind of raises lots of ethical questions, especially the behavior of God when God, so we have Achan, for example, in Joshua who stole something from Jericho and not only was he killed, but his entire family and every single animal was killed. And intense. So so there's all these cultural things. Like we're in the 21st century when the United States, we're very individualistic, we're not collective. Mm -hmm. And so these collective killings, I think, are problematic just in general, but I think especially if you come from mm. individualistic culture. Oh,
0: mm. my gosh.
2: Dr. Duke, I have a question for you, actually. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, can I answer that one? Though yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Student, then I have the another one. There, okay.
0: There, there are two things that I think people have tended to fixate on as I've taught these materials. are. It's exactly what you said, but it's like it's this stuff where our culture is so different. Like in the book of Joshua, it's just the ethical question of this taking of the land. Like, is this like a genocide or is it something else? Like, how do you, how do you talk about that? And then in Judges, I think, and this is something we've talked about in the course before, or we will again, at least, which is this question of when the Bible has a narrative, when there's a story, sometimes it's hard to know what's being endorsed versus what's being described and and you're supposed to in fact judge it. So for example, in the book of Judges, there's a story at the end. It just has, it's just, it's just a scene of uh, almost like unspeakable violence and students often as i do react very strongly to it and i think one question that comes up is like how could god do this and it's like okay but wait actually people do this right and is and and the scene of this violence is not endorsed in fact it's like anti it's sort of like the narrator throws shade at it but it it could be easy to miss that because you're just reading it and you're like this is happening and -hmm. this is in the bible and i think it's just that stunning kind of like reaction of like that the bible really tells these almost like x-rated stories
2: now, one of, one of my favorite teachers of the Bible, this woman named Amy Gillivine, once gave me a really great metaphor, and it came from a, a reading that students did um, in a previous week, I think last week, um, which is a metaphor of Jacob and um, when Jacob has that wrestling match with God or oh, messenger yeah. of God, mm-hmm. and in the end is um, injured and then also blessed.
0: Genesis 32.
2: Okay, thanks,
0: Bible scholar. <laughs> um,
2: and so what my my professor said that should be the model for reading the text. Oh. You wrestle, right? Oh, and yeah. there's blessing in the wrestling. But this one, this this set of readings that we've done this week, I think they require like lifelong wrestling yeah. of epic proportions. What What do scholars say? I feel like they, we we're you know a few thousand years beyond this moment in time what have scholars and theologians and maybe even ethicists how have they wrestled through this passage?
0: Dr. Edwards, you want to give a give a shot at that Yeah
2: well I think if you read and this is something what
1: Dr. Doke was just talking about if you read just one narrative separate from everything else it's really hard to interpret. Mm. Because you just have this horrific narrative, like a woman's body chopped up in 12 parts. And that's how Judges (laughs) ends. And you're like, what in the (laughs) world happened? And so something that biblical scholars uh, have really helped me understand is that you need to look at the whole. Mm. You need to look at the meta-narrative. And even beyond, like we're talking about the book of Judges, you have to step back. And you have to read the Pentateuch and you have to read what happens in the future.
0: The first five books of the Bible, the yes. Pentateuch, yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and when you look at the meta-narrative, you have the ability to determine, like, what does God think about this? Mm. Because it doesn't, in Old Testament narratives, and Dr. Doe just said this and it's very true, there's not often a commentary Mm -hmm. more often than not there's not a commentary from the author they just plop these horrific stories on all these wonderful stories but you're expected as the reader to know the big picture right Mm.
0: i think the book of judges on that front in a way in a way is actually easier to read ethically because it's ambiguous and because if you take a mature view as a reader I think you can clear the way the book of judges ends with this haunting phrase in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in in their their own own eyes eyes. it's like oh how are you that's not subtle at all actually oh you think that that shade that's not subtle at all yeah that's that that is that is unsubtle so I think that you can use that and this goes back to advice I think we always want to give students which is the number one step to interpretation it could even be the middle and the final step in some cases is like you actually have to read the text mm. which is what you just said I just want to emphasize that you have to actually read the text Joshua is I think more troubling it's more troubling to me personally as a Christian mm. because God is actually commanding the warfare in the book that occurs and I think that scholars and ethicists have gone on a long journey with that you know especially in the last 20-30 years when like we know for example that people have used the story in Joshua as justification for really you know, really controversial acts. Like, in fact, I just saw hot off the press, there's a new book out about the way that the book of Joshua has served ideologically as fodder for people to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So it's like, this stuff is, it's not just trapped in the past, right? And so I think that that's what makes it explosive for me. You made two points, Dr. Edwards. I wanted to engage with you about 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 that violence in Joshua, if, if, if you want to, um, and you covered so much in this lecture. So thank you for just, like, doing two whole books of the Bible. Not easy to do, by the way. Um, one that, like, how could God even get into this kind of stuff? You know, and one is just, like, a contextual argument that, in fact, Israel was situated in a particular moment in history. Could you talk a little bit more about, like, what that, what, what did you mean by that? Like, we have to look at a, a historical context about violence.
1: Yeah, and we, we had talked about this a little bit off mic before about how you even grapple with these, these, narratives where god is telling this group of people to come in to seemingly like unsuspecting regions and towns Mm. and just saying massacre everyone Mm -hmm. down to the animals and then if they don't do it the people of israel get punished right you didn't do this and so therefore i'm going to turn the people against you and you're going to be enslaved in the future and so You have this ultimatum with violence. And so there are many different ways of approaching, like how do you even grapple with the violence in scripture? I think it's important to note with Joshua that that's not the main purpose of the text. It's not dealing necessarily only with why did God ask people to kill them. And so, so in my lecture, I just touched on it briefly. Yeah. And so you're talking about the context. And I talked a little bit about the violence in the period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're talking about a period where a king would come into an Israelite town and say, submit to me. Um, and they agree. And then he says, and I'm also going to gouge out one of your eyes. Oh, yeah. Right? And then this is a period where people would like chop off thumbs and that's in judges big toes as well. <laughs> i mean and so that's one of the ways that scholars start to grapple right. with this question
0: so like you look at the historical period and you say okay god works progressively in scripture it's not just like it's not everything there at once there's progressive revelation and god works within history and so I, I wonder if I could add an archaeological artifact just for fun. I think to yeah, bolster absolutely. to bolster your point about the context. We have a document from the Moabites. The Moabites were a neighbor to to Israel, just in case you want to get into some like geography the oh, Moabites. Oh
2: yeah, well, it's good to know cuz we're going to read about them. We're going to read about the, the Moabites. Yeah, yeah, so the Moabites keep going, keep going. Uh,
0: the Moabites had this king named Mesha who lived I think in the 900s or 800s BC. So like maybe not exactly at the time of Joshua, but close enough that we can say in the Old Testament period, okay? And this Mesha, this king of Moab, he in fact has, and this is the only inscription or piece of writing we even have from the Moabites in a substantial way. And in that, he tells this story about how he conquered various lands. And he actually mentions enacting and using the same Semitic word. These are all Sem- Semitic as a language family. So Hebrew is a Semitic language. So, so is Moabite in the ancient world. And so he uses in his Moabite language, a term that's actually parallel to the Hebrew term that's used in Joshua to describe this total annihilation. In Hebrew, the term is cherim or it sounds like the word harem, like a group of wives. In fact, it's the same word. It's the idea that there are things that are set apart for a special or sacred use. And so that's the word that's used to describe this total, this ban or this annihilation, harem. And so this Moabite king in his inscription actually uses that same Semitic word to describe something he claims to have done to the Israelites, which is actually a rare reference to Israel from that time period in an ancient text. So now that might not solve the problem, though, of like, okay so it was the context but like why couldn't israel's god have been a little bit better than the context and that's a question i have too you know maybe i'll have to just wait to ask god but things do happen well
1: i'm kind of curious Doctor because we were chatting about this the other day and this is something this is your specialty this is your area yeah and can you add so we i talked to just touch briefly right about the religious context like what the biblical text actually says you know they sinned before god right That the they canaanites, sinned. The canaanites yeah. Yeah, yeah. were sacrificing children but for you as a human being yeah what what are some of the kind of explanations that give you the most peace yeah mm, so that's a good question you know
0: the, the the thing that the first one you brought up about the context that one actually does help me because i'm I, when I read scripture, I have to lean into this idea that there's some sense of progressive revelation that ultimately for Christians, we are reading for Jesus. We're reading for Jesus, people. Like that's where scripture <laughs> that points. That seems
2: like a t-shirt it or hashtag, like a hashtag. we should. Hashtag yeah. read hashtag for Jesus. Hashtag, let's get it
0: going. Let's get it going, yep, fam. We start, you heard it here. Reading for Jesus, okay? <laughs> like we're reading forward in the narrative, right? And so we can actually go back just as Jesus does and we can judge our experience with scripture through the prism of Jesus, through who Jesus is, right? And so even in that sense, god has things there are things being done in the bible that like from the perspective of jesus and jesus is we can look back and be like jesus judges all of history jesus judges all of us and all of our acts you know equally in light, of, mm. in light of his his command, like in the Sermon on the Mount, that the meek will inherit the earth and to turn the other cheek. And so I find comfort in that. And so I can lean into the, te- textual or the, um, the contextual thing. I The idea, and the Bible does say, as I think you said in your lectures, there's some idea that the Canaanites have a bad religion, that, they're, that they do sinful practices. There are references scattered in various places to child sacrifice even. Scholars have taken kind of like a dim view of some of this stuff, partly because we don't have a lot of archaeological evidence that there was some mass practice of child sacrifice that the Canaanites really did. In fact, it's even more complicated because in the book of Genesis, chapter 21, 22, Abraham is actually asked to sacrifice his oldest son, Isaac, or his second oldest by son. By God. By God. And then Ezekiel has this bizarre passage in Ezekiel where the prophet there seems to even suggest that God had maybe commanded something like sacrifice of, the old, of, of children at some point, but it wasn't a good law, Ezekiel says. It was maybe a bad law. And so uh, to me, the picture is like, confusing on that front and i think scholars have helped us understand that like and you know israelites of course throughout the bible wrongly according to the biblical narrators worship other gods to their own shame you know and so on and so this is something that the canaanites do but the israelites also do it and so i've i find explanations more helpful that lean into the yes the contextual thing and the violence um not so much about the badness of the canaanites even though i recognize as a christian that that is a biblical theme but i Also, the badness of the Israelites is a biblical theme, too. I I think also there are voices from early Christianity. I'm thinking of Origen of Alexandria from the second century, who, in fact, didn't even read the book of Joshua literally at all as something that even happened. He read it spiritually and allegorically. That might be an approach that appeals to some students and and church traditions and not others, I recognize. But he um, he was a major voice, and he had a commentary on Joshua um, in his time. And he was like, you know, this thing about, getting rid of the Canaanites is really about eradicating sin. Yes. From our own lives. Like it's not about going on a quest against other people. It's about your own sin. Right. And about cleansing your life in that sense. And so I think there's a spiritual dimension of the text that we could lean into that also kind of takes some of the pressure off. Some of this stuff does it really work in the end. I mean, the text is what the text is. And I'm a fan of literal readings, too. So. um,
2: Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because just as a reminder to the students, I'm, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm a church historian. So I study like how people have applied some of these things over time. And so I have been keeping just a running tab of questions that have been coming up while I've been listening to you, Dr. Edwards, and to you, Dr. Doak. And one of those questions was, what is spiritual and what is practical? And can you even, you know, dissect those two things but you brought up this idea so when i was a kid i remember being participating in we called it a jericho march and it was marching around literally marching around um, a town and praying for spiritual walls to come down and for the spirit of god to like like conquer yeah this little town that I grew up in. Now, did, were we praying for people to be killed? Like every man, woman, child, animal? No, not at all. In fact, that would be the last thing that people wanted. They wanted some sort, they they were interpreting Mm -hmm. this passage spiritually, as you said. So I think that that is the task of any, any person who believes that the scriptures have applicability now and, or are divinely inspired. So that, includes most Christians. It is their task to discern that over time. And it's actually no small matter because people, you hear people like this idea that God has given land to a people group and they're entitled to it. And then they can commit all kinds of atrocities to get that land. People have been doing that for a long time in this country and all over the world. So I think it is, it's... This is the hard thing of, of, you know, wrestling through these texts because it's an issue of discernment, right? Like you have to discern what is the proper reading for this time. I appreciate you all wrestling through. Can I share another one question that I've come up with? Yeah, absolutely. Listening to you all, which is who speaks for God? So this, this, these two books really ask that question, right? right? Like. the the scripture says, God says, and how, how are people discerning that? And who gets to, you know, that, that changes over time. What, how do you all manage that question? Well,
0: like Dr. Edwards, you've, you've been a missionary, like in your life, like you've done missions work, you've gone to other countries and, and, and you've talked to more people than probably Dr. Payne and I combined who are like not Christians about faith. And just like, how does, like, how do you think about that in terms of like, I don't know just like the willingness of someone to believe or like do you ever like force it or how far does it go like how how does how does someone who's been involved in missions think about a question like this like is there ever a place to like change someone's culture forcibly today do you think or like how does that like how would a missionary think about that
1: yeah Well, I think definitely you're not changing people's culture, mm-hmm. and as you think about how God created the world with all diversity of language right. and traditions, um, and as as I've travelled the world, I've seen so many different ways mm. to do church, mm. to read scripture. Mm. Um, as as you, if we if we were sitting around and we're from all different countries, languages, w- different things would be popping out at us totally um, from the biblical text, and so like determining. I think this is a real like. Practical question, like how do you know if something's from God or not from God? And that was the kind of the basis mm-hmm. of your question. Mm-hmm. And and I think it is it is a discerning process, like comparing with the biblical text. Is this in alignment, or is this in contrast with what God teaches in the in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Old Testament? Um, it's having wise counselors around you, other Christians who can kind of speak words of wisdom and knowledge into it. Um, and it's also slowly, and we're moving to the New Testament, but also the Old Testament, um, following and learning to hear the voice of God. Mm. And and the Bible is filled with all these miraculous events, where there's dreams, visions, angels, um, God speaking from the heavens. Um and so I think it's it's a combination of different things. Mm,
0: that's really mm. good. I wonder if we could turn to an actual text here for ten minutes or so, just to read and talk about a story. Um,
2: yes, let's pick the strangest. The strangest. Most gruesome one.
0: Well, let's. Okay. Let's, no, let, no, maybe. Let, not. Let's pick a weird. Let's pick a, a weird one. Let's pick a weird one. Let's pick a weird text. There's a lot of fun ones to choose. I don't know, uh, Doctor Edwards. What do you think about the story of Ahud in Judges three? Do you think? Yeah, that, think do you that's think that could work? Text, Can yep. we read it out loud together? Um, around around our table here I was thinking of starting in Judges chapter 3 verse 15 so Judges three, mm-hmm, fifteen to mm-hmm. 30 the background here is that a neighboring country Moab that I just mentioned is oppressing Israel Israel was supposed to I mean this is a huge plot point Israel was supposed to take the land and drive everyone out, but they actually couldn't do it in the book of Joshua. They didn't do it.
2: They, they make a deal. They spare. They spare some people. Yep. They,
0: they can't, or, or they can't do it. Or as the book of Judges says at the beginning, God actually wanted some of the people to remain so that he could test them in warfare. So the Bible is actually really complicated on this front as well. Anyway, the Moabites are oppressing Israel. What are they going to do? Let's read this weird story and talk about it a little bit. Judges 3.15. Dr. Edwards, you want to kick it off?
1: Yeah. So maybe we'll start 14.
0: Oh, you want to start at 14? Okay, just okay. real quick. Are you looking at the NRSV translation? I am. Oh, perfect. We're all in the same translation here. So oh.
1: the Israelites served King Eglon of Moab for 18
2: years.
0: Wait, which verse are we on? We're on, I'm verse, sorry. We're on verse 15. <laughs> now we're on 15. We're on verse oh, okay, 15. Okay, Dr. okay. Payne.
2: Okay. And uh, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord.
0: Is this, are you reading the NRSV? I v? thought I was. I don't. It doesn't say again.
2: New Revised Standard Version. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're struggling to again. read the Bible. Again. Okay.
2: Okay, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gerah the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab.
0: Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he fastened it on his right thigh under his clothes.
1: Then he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab.
2: Now, Eglon was a very fat man. After Ahud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it.
0: But he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king said, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence.
1: Ahud came to him and while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber and said, I have a message
2: from God for you. So he rose from his seat. Then Ahud reached out, or reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into Eglon's belly.
0: The hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the dirt came out.
1: Then Ahud went out into the vestibule, and closed the doors of the roof chamber on him, and locked them.
2: After he had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought he must be relieving himself in the cool chamber.
0: So they waited until they were embarrassed. When he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. There was their lord lying dead on the floor.
1: Ehud escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the sculptured stones and escaped to
2: Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, And the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, having him at their head.
0: He said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and allowed no one to cross over.
1: At that time, they killed about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. No one escaped.
2: So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest 80 years. Dun,
0: dun, dun. Question number one. What is this story doing in the Bible? Oh my goodness. Is that not the most obvious question to ask? Like these judges are all like these crazy guerrilla fighters. Why is this in the Bible? Why does God see fit to tell us this story? Dr. Edwards, you are the lecturer for this week. You have to to tell us. I'm not
1: responsible for the stories and judges. (laughs) Uh, Um, I, I love judges because you have all these people that are called by God. They're mighty warriors in their morally not exemplar exemplary. They're flawed you have Gideon, Samson, right, and even Ahud Definitely. who's like sneaking in, murdering this
2: very fat king. I have
0: a message from God for you. <laughs> oh, what is it? get out of here. Here it is wham
2: i've got a question i have been dying to ask which is why the detail about being left-handed because it's a surprise i, I guess but does that signify anything oh in it the must answer? no, no it they're, they're doing
0: they're, they're doing like physiognomy they're doing like body kind of meanings they're saying left he's saying left-handed people are are sneaky, are, are sneaky. yeah i think totally i mean you could do like a mer- <laughs> i was
1: thinking really practically that most people were right-handed so they would check that's, that's what side i was thinking of the too. for the
0: sword but well, left-handed so people didn't know, they- <laughs> yeah you know i think people say <laughs> that but here's the thing i'm not sneaking. um when he <laughs> comes in um when he makes this sword and he fastens it under on his right thigh so the idea would be that you'd reach across your body and go and, and get it out i mean there's no scene in which the people check him like in a movie right like you'd like you'd expect that like a pat down scene like where's the pat down scene
2: well, we but just But there's were so many assuming.
0: things left out. Yeah. Right, so we're assuming there that... Could I, also his there
2: could be a pat-down Also, his hair color is not could be a pat-down
0: scene not narrated. I I think it's. I think the body cue is something that's really important, though. Like, this idea of left-handedness comes up, actually, again, in Judges as well. Like, it's not just limited to this one place. And so the idea of someone using their left hand... People used to be much more into that. I don't know if there are yeah. any left-handers listening. You maybe know that maybe some people had tried to, like, force you to be right-handed in your life. Sure, or yeah. Th- there's My like,
2: grandfather was like that. He had terrible handwriting, but I think right? it was because he was forced to be right-handed. Well, even our words,
0: even our words like dexterous, like that mm-hmm. comes from the Latin Greek like term, right, for right-handed. And sinister comes from the term for left-handed. That's, what? That's where those Ooh, words come from. So, like, there's a kind of a moral value placed on this.
2: And I what mean. is it like in the scriptures when they talk about my right arm? Like, what is that? Yeah. Is that directional or is no, it your blessing? Okay, it's your yeah, hand yeah, of blessing. yeah. So, so it's hand like the left, right left hand. the left oh, one is. So a he's a left hander hand. like, Yeah, left hand is the
1: toilet hand too. Just throwing it out there. Well, right. If you do more.
0: Do public things with your right hand, shaking hands and touching people's faces and things like that. And maybe other things with your left so hand. So
1: is this then Dr. Dote kind of a commentary from the author?
0: The fact that he's left-handed? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think it's, I think this is so awesome about the Bible. Like it's also like really good literature. Well, it has foreshadowing yes. and symbolism and like you cannot, this is why I'm such, I love history and I love literal readings of the Bible, but this is why I'm, I'm just so intense about telling people like. Don't get wrapped up in this history question, like, well, could I prove this historically, or da 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 da, or insisting that every story in the Bible is historically accurate. It's not about that. Like, it's, it's about, not only it's about not those things. Only about that.
2: Well, my question is: Is this supposed to be a comedic scene? Because there are some things that seem funny to me, like I
0: heard you breathe out your nose at one point. Go. <laughs>
2: well, I was thinking right? about the um, where he's he's in the bathroom, right? Right. And then. All, so he's this really powerful man. And then everyone is like all his his people are waiting for him until they were embarrassed. I, that has got to be right. It's funny now. Was it funny then?
0: Well, it's funny when the king says silence and he makes everyone go out <laughs> and the message from God and this blade going in. It's so gruesome. And the dirt came out. Yeah. It's the dirt that came out. Like, do we need to be told about that? Did, are they talking honestly about his bowels? like his feces is this supposed
2: to say something about moab and israel like
0: Mm. you
2: know uh, uh, are we supposed to gain some sort of knowledge because i'm thinking about like jacob is a deceiver he's a Mm. like there's the whole trickster kind of story that keeps coming up in the bible again and again and again is Ahud like in some way the embodiment of like like it's kind of cool that the trickster gets the upper hand is that what we're supposed to are, is there is there like a story that we're supposed to, or are we just supposed to be like this is so gross
0: or this is so cool israel wins
2: yeah, yeah
1: like I what think, are we supposed to get well from i it? think if you think about who's reading this it's not the moabites like the, the original <laughs> right readers right, right. right so this is the the hebrew community is reading this and so i think it is this massive shaming of the moabites mm. He was on the toilet he had. He was so large that you couldn't even see the right. sword sticking out. This of is him. your king. This is and, your and probably, king. probably. I ah. mean, dirt probably was the the intestines and the poo just coming out, right? Like this is like it's an incredible shaming and mockery wow.
2: almost. This reminds me of like political cartoons now. If you want to talk about the leader of another country, it's very common. Right. Like if they're your enemy country, propaganda to create. Maybe like to create a cartoonish version of like the other country
0: we see here. Israel, I mean, as a nation, they're being forged and probably just like the American Revolution and the colonial period and all kinds of things like Israel is forged in a cauldron of just like strange behavior and crazy violent activity like that seems true in judges.
2: Is that where we're going to leave off? We're going to end it there? No, it's not end it. <laughs> the craziness. No, no, no. I don't think we should. I, <laughs> think, I think of a better one. I think, that, think of a better end. Okay, Take I'm going to bring it ending. back. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Yeah. And bring it back to this question of wrestling through mm. um, texts that are hard to understand and that stories that we may not completely get the meaning. Mm. And we may not get it in our lifetime. I guess I want to encourage students to keep reading to because you might find some sort of gem there of, of if not like great spiritual meeting it might just be fun and interesting and weird and you know so I want to encourage you students to keep wrestling I keep wrestling through these mm-hmm. what what would do you all have a send-off to students in these very strange and difficult passages
1: yeah and I think I'm, I'm kind of going back to what we talked about originally you have to step back if you just look at this story right now it's just craziness um, but you have to step back and look at the bigger picture Um, the Israelites, the beginning of Judges 2, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And and then you see this spiraling down of the Israelites and even their leaders, their warriors are kind of crazy and unpredictable (laughs) and very human. And so you see this spiraling down as as Israel moves away from God. And in that context, this story makes more sense.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Edwards, for joining us for this discussion.
1: Absolutely piano plays softly